on Anchor FM. We're on 11 different platforms, including Spotify and Apple. And uh, this is being recorded. And it's not live, but it's being recorded. And uh, we've been interviewing folks in the indie music arena since 2018. We've hit about 30,000 listeners worldwide. And so we're happy to have you on the program. You guys are from Melbourne? Yes, that's correct. Mm -hmm. Great. So you guys, safety word, you are an electronic duo. And you're kind of in the dream pop, chill wave, trip hop sensibility zone, which is is pretty cool. I mean, I'm I'm an electronic musician. I kind of come from progressive electronic, like talking about like bands like Yes, Genesis, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, that kind of stuff. I'm a hardware synth guy. But um, awesome. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of, and I show my age. I'm in my fifties. I kind of lived yep. through that and the the, the kind of romantic. New Romantic period, bands like mm. uh, Joy Division, New Order. In the 80s. Yep. Like, Are we, my thing. We love, we love <laughs> Joy Division and New Order. Mm. Yeah, sure. it, yeah, I did yeah. hear a little bit of that in your music I'll talk about. It too. I actually heard a little Sid Barrett in some of your stuff, too. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but, um, but, but I'll talk about that when we get into it. So, like, we sent you the questions. So I like to ask, I don't know who wants to go first, but the f- first question I always ask any artist or band I'm going is when did you first get, when did you first get into music? At what age? Who, whoever wants to go with that first. Well, yeah, you can go, John. Okay, yeah. Well, I got into music probably, oh, I was always into music um, from a very early age. So probably from, I guess, six, probably younger, five years old. Around that that period, um, I just got in the concept of music and and formulating songs. Um, my father, he was a musician, so I'd see him record and uh, make songs and all that sort of stuff. But he would, he would only do it from time to time, and um, and so yes, yeah, so probably from from that age, I guess the first I think the first albums I got I think it was like Michael Jackson Bad I got that on cassette and then I got um, what changed my life was Prince the Batman album and uh, oh, that yeah, yeah yeah and and yeah. I'll just listen to the production of it all the time and because I think he did it all himself he basically recorded yeah, it, everything typical. himself and um, yeah and I'll just listen to it and it just fascinate me how he just put everything in there and it sort of just stuck. That's interesting because I, I kind of was introduced. Uh, I bought Purple Rain on vinyl the day it came out. Full on. That's I, I rode down to I rode yeah I rode down to Strawberry Records when they still had record stores. Yeah, and it, it was all vinyl, and I just was like just totally entranced. And I had originally picked up his early stuff, and I was kind of drawn to him because I was into like Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Funkadelic, mm. and. Uh, I just like the fact that I knew at age 17 he had produced his first album, everything. Yeah, yeah, he did. What was it called? Four Years or something. Yeah, and I was like, I was totally kind of drawn to that. So, yeah, I can understand. Your love of that album is a kind of continuation of him doing that type of thing, which he did back and forth. He'd go between bands and doing it all himself. So, what, 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 uh, so how do you want to um, answer the other, you know, the question I had asked? What was the other part of the question? Sorry. Oh well, more. Um, um, I think I was just extending it to your partner. Ah <laughs> oh, yes, yes, um, yeah. I I uh, started learning piano when I was I think about six years old, 
Um, so I've always been into to music. My, my dad and my mum, very into music. My dad collects uh, Beatles memorabilia. So got a whole sort of room of male bedrooms become his Beatles shrine. So he's got some, you know, pretty uh, good stuff in there with some of their like original pressings and stuff of their records and some rare books and things like that. So sort of grew up, um, yeah, lis- listening to lots of music from, from uh, yeah, a lot of sort of 60s music uh, was inspired by my childhood. Um, yeah, and I I was doing classical like piano lessons for you know a number of years. I wasn't very good, by the way, but I um, I think it seeped into my soul <laughs> somehow because uh, I, I didn't really practice and I wasn't really inspired by it. But I but I came um, through the piano and then into guitar, which I was really inspired by for many years. So I'd spend every afternoon for about two hours playing guitar, you know, whenever I could. Um, but, yeah, when I sort of discovered music was when I wasn't trying to play someone else's music and I was just making up my own songs. That's when I really sort of discovered how much I loved it. But, I, yeah, came back, yeah, okay. <laughs> came back to the piano, you know, many years later at about probably 1920 when I was at art school. And I formed my first band. Um, we used all Casios and old sort of um, 90s distortion pedals and things to make lo-fi electronica in the, in the late 90s. And, um, yeah, and just got really inspired by make, making sounds, really. That's interesting. My first synthesizer was a Casio CZ-101. Awesome. Yeah, that's a good... Good and, uh, yeah, from... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I did the same thing. I, I took a Boss distortion pedal and a phaser pedal and put it, you know, yeah. through that. <laughs> yeah, you get some really cool um, sounds, like, and and especially when I found because you use batteries with them when the batteries are starting to go, or just if it's an old synth from an op shop, sometimes the degraded quality can actually make them sound really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm totally into that. That's why I like my analog sense. You, know, you pick up a 74 model mm-hmm. E and it's it's so old. The circuits are old. It's kind of those aged circuits. Yeah. Sometimes you, you like better than the new one. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you, that's why like the new Prophet, you can actually age it. You, they have like aging dials so you can make it simulate oh, wow. being 20 that's years old. Um yeah, so it's kind of it's like that's part of the thing. It's like you build a brand new synth, analog synth, and it's kind of like you like that a little that drift. You like the little inconsistencies you have in the in the systems. That's what I find when I collect these old machines. But um, I'm drifting into that. But uh, so you got you already kind of uh, talked about how you drift. You know, you come from being an appreciation of music mm. and getting into music, but then realizing you can write your own music. Um, so how deep did you get into that? You know, what age did you really start crafting your own songs? Yeah, I, I started from about, um, yeah, probably from six. I'll just sing, make up songs in my head and sing them. And then from about, I picked up, I started doing like serious poetry around the age of 
13, 14, 14. Yeah, 13, 14, I got into writing poetry. And then I picked up the guitar on and off from about 12. But I was just really, at about 12 years old, I was really influenced by punk music, punk rock. And I didn't want to learn to play guitar properly. I just liked to learn a few chords and just use that, the whole like less is more type thing. And, uh, and I self, I've been self-taught from, from, yeah, I got seriously into playing music around 14 and, but it would just be self-taught. So I would just like to, you know, um, you know, like sort of from Sonic Youth and things like that, like I'd like to, you know, change the sound of the, the instrument. I didn't want it to sound like a guitar, if that makes sense. So when I'd play, yeah. I would be sort of really bending or, or just, you know, hitting one note or something like that and, and um, you know, in a certain way, you know, to get a certain sound. Um, so it was, more, it was more about approaching the instrument not in a normal way. I mean, I was, I was always thinking like um, the sound is paint and I'm just painting with it. That's, that's really interesting. I bring that up all the time because um, when I was uh, reading about Jimi Hendrix, they had asked him about like electric wavy land. I asked him like, "Why? Why does it sound the way it does?" And he said, "Where's the sound thing?" Yeah. And and Hendrix used to talk like that a lot. He used to talk about how sound was pain. Yeah. And um, and you can kind of hear it when you look. You know, you, you you really get into Hendrix's work. It does feel like that. It feels like he's like the first, like electronic musician. <laughs> yeah. In, in that he used his guitar. In ways like a synthesizer. Yeah, you turned it. Into, yeah, yeah I, I kind of felt felt it. You know, I think anybody who listens to Hendrix, you can kind of pick up on that. But yeah, it's it's, it's very true. Yeah. I think I think with with, with the um, you know with with a guitar, you can make it sound like a synthesizer in a way. Or it, it does. It can sound. It's one of those instruments that doesn't sound like itself, especially when it's affected. A lot, and uh, you can get all these just different sounds, you know. And, and it's about the movement of it as well, the way you move it around, um, you know. The, and if you watch him as well, he would really shake his guitar around, and he, as much as he would be playing it, he'd be moving it, and the movement also yeah. adds to the sound, you know. So it's, 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 it's yeah, it's kind of like those newfound sounds, you know, like mm-hmm. like you see them. You know, shaking it like if yeah, I got a spring exactly. reverb on a, on a mug. Yeah, I got a spring reverb on my mug, and I, if I shake it, it will give me these kind of weird rattly yeah. sounds. Um, mm-hmm. And you kind of do that. You see him like you know putting his guitar against the, the neck against the microphone and sliding it, mm. and getting getting all kind of bird sounds and seagull sounds and ocean <laughs> waves and stuff out of it. And it seemed like he could call distortion and the kind of. Um, well, more like you, he could do all these kind of, um, you know, feedback and get it in the right tone, like on demand. He knew his instrument or he knew how the pedal worked or how the effects worked. He could like call it mm. when he wanted it. And that that's, I think, the, the kind of key to his genius is being able to actually call that sound when you want it to happen. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think I also read as well, because he, he preferred to have a right-handed guitar upside down, Having the guitar upside down as well also affects the pickups. Something like that I remember reading. It, it does something to it and, um, yeah, alters the sound as well of the guitar, the electric guitar. 
Yeah, it's interesting yeah. that you talk about punk music because punk has been like a mm. big. Uh, I think the punk aesthetic is really, you know, a positive thing for musicians because it, it, yeah. it basically, if you think about like the '60s, you had all these like geniuses like Hendrix and Jimmy Page and Steve Winwood, all these yeah, Clapton, and it was like this feel that some of these people were like, "Well, I can't reach Jimmy Page's level, so I shouldn't even try," right? And but then when you get the punk movement, we get the mm. Sex Pistols and the Clash, and and they had the Joy Division. People are like, okay, if I have some heart and I believe in what I'm doing, I don't. Have yeah, if you got three chords, like Eric you can, you can yeah. do something. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. You should say because yeah, I also came from uh, uh, you know playing in in punk bands, lo-fi bands, sort of thing, where it was you know just a couple of notes a song. So I was on a bass player back in, in those sort of days, which was in college, our year year 11 and 12. Um, trying to work what out what that is in the US. That's your, like your um, senior years of high school. But, yeah, yeah, yeah so there was quite a big in Tasmania for um, DIY sort of punk bands, and it was all about sort of playing as loud and as fast as you could <laughs> and shouting over the top. But, yeah, as you say, what was good for that was you didn't actually have to be that good at your instrument to be in one of these bands. If you had a couple of mates and you had a, a love for, for music and you just suddenly you were in a band one night after you got, got drunk or something and you were like, hey, let's make a band. And, you know, <laughs> you know and, but it's that, um, that, that sort of gang friendship mentality of being in a band is just so great, you know, when you're 15, 16. You might just be going to get hamburgers yeah. or something, but so you just feel like on top of the world, you know. Yeah, I think one of the things that was a big influence for me was like Lou Reed and the Velvet. Oh Army. yeah, <laughs> I had uh, yeah, you know, big read fan. A Rolling Stone. <laughs> I wrote, I read a Rolling Stone article like in the mid '80s, and they had suddenly, you know, brought back all these Velvet out, out, out underground albums. And um, they had reissued them, and Rolling Stone went back and reviewed them. And I was like a rabid reader of Rolling Stone. And I'm like, wow, where are all these five-star records I never heard of? Right? So I went mm. right there and got them. And then I'm like, I had a little band in my basement. I had like a band that was doing like Clash and like Sex Pistol covers and stuff. And mm-hmm. then we heard the Velvets, and we're like, wow, this this is what we should do. And then we started, you know, playing Waiting for the, My Man and Heroin and all these songs. And, yeah, and we, we just kind of got. We just loved what Lou Reed was doing. He was like a Dylan, like an alternative Dylan, mm. you know. And we were like, yeah. we liked what what he was saying, you know. And then we we just, it totally drove us. And then we started listening to like SST, you know, this this label in the U.S. like Sub Pop and stuff. I was listening to like the Who's the Do and the mm-hmm. Cramps and the Replacements. And then we we're like, so you can bring melody into punk. That's why I heard like Kudu and Paul Westerberg. They started writing like Beatles-esque power punk songs, and we were like, "Wow!" So you can actually try to craft yeah. it a little bit more, and that's yeah. where I kind of started. Someone making I a cup get, of tea there. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, just, that's quite well, distracting. Oh. Um, yeah, that's right. So it's interesting. Yeah. Um, we're talking about like that type of point in your in your music. You know, the the reference points is like the next question. You kind of brought up like who a little bit, but 
who would you uh, you know name check as your you know re- influences and reference points and when you started crafting music who who were your heroes or people that you wanted to be you know think about when you, you when you got got into music mm, yeah, I, yeah. I, I really liked John Lennon and um, he he was incredible I thought as a songwriter you didn't need much because it just it just came back to the guitar and the voice and the melody and I really liked that I also liked you know I was a big Nirvana fan as well when I was yeah 12, yeah, 12 years old hurt. that was a big <laughs> you know a, a big influence but also as well the Pixies as well oh, so yes. so I'd, I'd probably say when I heard after I heard Nirvana then I heard the Pixies I'm like oh wow you know that's that's basically where they got their whole sound from, you know, that, that dynamic, the, the, you know, soft, loud and, you know, emphasis on the chorus. And, um, yeah, that, yeah. So that, that, that was, I think they really pushed me to like, okay, you know, especially if it can be, if music can be done, well, Lennon was very complicated with his music, but his early, early stuff, but, um, you know, the, the sort of punk, I think that the punk, sort of stuff really pushed me um, mm-hmm. to start doing music. It just, it, there was something where you could feel the really raw energy and it came out, you know, and uh, it, it was, it was just something about it where you, you, there was no pressure. It was just expressing yourself. And I think people like to emulate musicians and I got it in my head from a very early age as well. You're either an innovator or um, what was it? an imitator, or an imitator, you know, and and, that's, and it's true. Yeah. And people think yeah. that I think they get insecure and they think they have to sound like someone or they have to use someone as a reference. But really, all music is is just an accumulation of what you are as a person and who you are and your experiences in life. And when you look at any musician, they've all had you know experiences in life that's shaped them. For who they are, they were at a certain time, you know, they were at a certain place, you know, that had an influence on them. And I think it's, for me, it was always about my experience and how I viewed life and how I perceived my existence. And then putting that into music just came naturally. So music is only, um, you know, the biggest influence is life, you know, just, just being alive. Yeah. And then why do you want to do music for? What's, what's the reason? You know, and and then it just comes back down to energy. You want to put all your life energy into a vibration, so then someone else can tap into that, and you don't have to explain anything. It's just there. The vibration of what a piece of what you are is, you know, in a physical sounding form. You know, that can be accessed physically, and that's and that's it. You know, so. Getting a bit more deeper into it. <laughs> yeah, I, I like so, it. So, so that, that's yeah. Yeah, that's you know a lot of what I have done as a musician. I I never really cared about whether or not I I got anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's more like I have a feeling. You know, I started with poetry, and then mm-hmm. I got into electronic synthesizers and things. And I just felt like I just want to express something that's like my own, right? So I I, yeah. I figured out how to transition from poetry and spoken word into what I do with the ghost and and I've all my influences kind of show up I mean I love Sun Ra you know yeah kind of freeform jazz like Hendrix 
like craft work and like mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder. I mean, it has so mm-hmm. many different influences, mm-hmm. but it all just comes yeah. out in what I do. And I just felt like I created this thing, expansive sound, which just represents any genre I want to do at, at the moment. Yeah, it's good not and to be limited to be... by yeah. genre. You yeah. know, you can yeah, you don't just get create freely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think today we've got a lot of pressure in the business. And I see producers sending mm-hmm. things out saying, can you sound like Drake? Can you sound like this? Can you sound like that? Yeah. And you get all these people trying to pitch. Mm-hmm. And you've got to sound like the latest top 10 hit. Um, and that kind of takes the energy out of like new creators because everybody's saying, well, you know, I, I haven't heard this before, so I'm not going to push it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> and yeah. So like, that's, that's, that's the whole point of music, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose it's, it's bit... good to have some sort of reference point for people. Like, oh, it's a bit like a cross between this and that, you know, X and Y. Just so, I mean, to get someone to listen to it in the first place. But yeah, I I understand what you're saying. Um, so it, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's, it's hard. Do you find it that that you when you deal with agents or you deal with managers, mm-hmm. they're always trying to pin you into a like okay we can put you with this group or this tour or this 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 thing you know that seems like when i dealt with some agents and kind of why i don't deal with them now <laughs> yeah we <laughs> and i would they want to package you straight those, away those yeah yep. yeah i would get put in a box and say i didn't really fit in <laughs> we're, we're fairly you know um fiercely independent with everything that we do we have have you know people approach us on occasion but i'm you know, to try and do things with them. But we, we pretty much like doing everything ourselves so we can keep our artistic integrity and we don't have to try and push, you know, a different sound or a different aesthetic than that we want to to, to do ourselves. Um, so, I mean, th- these days, you know, you can, you can do a lot of it y- yourself, um, which I find really rewarding. That kind of gets into your um, how you guys put your music together um you know in terms of your process mm. everybody today tends to use a digital audio workstation yeah um a lot of people have their own home studios some people still go to physical studios so are, are you a kind of band based on what you just said yeah, more like into home recording uh with your own dog do you go to a physical studio we do a, a combination of both so we write um sort of a demo our songs up you know from initial idea to to a fairly fully fledged demo, and then we just take it to our friend Ryan at Invention Studios to just do that last sort of ten percent. We re-record the vocals and guitars in his studio because we really like his sound that he gets. And then, and then it's just good to have a third person sort of mix the song with us as well, so you can instantly sort of you know they can instantly hear if there's anything sort of standing out like a sore thumb. And then he will also um, master the songs as well. So it's sort of us and Ryan at Invention Studios that, yeah, put put to songs. And, yeah, we find that, that process pretty good. Before we... Then just doing that last 10%, I find. Yeah. Well, that's the reason why <laughs> recording engineers are kind of like, Recording engineers are artists in their own right. Yeah, so definitely. Get a, a great a recording engineer can actually mm. make. I mean, I've read all this, you know, all these biographies of bands, mm. right? and the band puts something together, and then they send it to the engineer, yeah. 
and suddenly the engineer kind of does that final production. And some band, mm. you know, that final production actually ends up being the big difference, you know, in terms of how the engineer heard it and what they chose to emphasize and what they chose not to emphasize or what they, and, and, and they become like a member of the band in some, some, yeah, yeah. That, that yeah. They, they, they can make such a big difference that it becomes being a hit or not being a hit. <laughs> um, yeah. At the moment, I, I wouldn't so want to work with that, a different engineer. Like we're yeah, super yes, happy with Ryan and I, I consider him like an unofficial third member and yeah. So, Okay, he's totally synced, synced with what you feel. Yeah, and that's one thing. Like, it's finding that engineer or producer that you give them the demo, and you then they suddenly give it back, and then you hear it, and it's like, yeah. that is not my vision. Yeah, right. But then again, you could have well, that mm. wasn't my vision. Yeah, that's right. Well, often we'll have a fully sort of demoed song that you know we'll think that is fully releasable. We could almost release that, and then we go into the studio, and then just with that extra, you know, bit of shine and you know, stuff that he does with, you know, EQing and, you know, using his really nice preamps and all that sort of stuff. It just, yeah, it's just yeah, he's got suddenly, a lot of he, stuff. suddenly you just hear the song and it's just, you know, that extra, that extra mile and you go, oh, I'm glad yeah. we didn't release it as, as we were going because it's just so much better, you know, it just jumps out of the speakers. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's usually the so song, you... the song will usually demand it. Mm. I, I, I always... Um, feel that with songs they demand to be released a certain way. I, I I know that songs are already made and there's songs already out there. There's an infinite amount of songs, and when when the song comes into existence, it's already knows what it's supposed to be, and it's your you know us as music you know as people who are creating the songs like bringing the songs out. We're just trying to do our best to. Um, you know, be true to that song, what it's meant to be, and put all, work it out how to put all the pieces together. Again, like a jigsaw puzzle, you know, you want to put it all together so it, you know, has a clear picture of what it is. And, um, yeah, I, I, I always feel that song, song's already there. And it just, you know, if a song's meant to be a lo-fi song, it has to be made in a lo-fi way. If it's meant to be, you know, a high-production song, it'll be made in a high-production way. It just depends what you're, what's, you know, you're tuning into. Um, and and that song will tell you straight away. Oh, you know this doesn't work, or this has to be lower, or this has to be higher. And you'll hear it naturally mm. when you tune into it. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, that the whole idea of what services the song. Yeah, because they you could like, I think you, you ask the songwriter and they say, well, how how do you write a song? And it's like it's a very personal thing, and and it's like it changes from song to song. You know, some songs like are fully re- realized like in a dream and some songs take six months yeah. and multiple overdubs you know some songs come out without any real strain on your mind you know mm. it, it just it's free and then other ones are like torturous to take you a long time to put together you, you never know what's gonna happen you know yeah how it gets yeah developed. well I, it just kind of yeah i do a, a process that i yeah um learned through doing um a course with a guy from the internet who's an australian guy called mike mike monday and i'm i'm a huge fan of his but he taught me this process of uh splurging which i try and do every day but it's it's about getting a song out of you in as quick a time as possible so sort of like you write a song in in 20 minutes to an hour and you just sort of like 
almost throwing paint at the wall because you're never quite sure when you're going to latch onto something magical. And what you do is you create the song and mix it down and save it, but you don't listen to it for a week. And then you go up and you listen to your mix. Something 20 will jump out at you as, you know, something a bit special. And you can go back and you know, something more realised. But often than not, created in, you know, 20 minutes to an hour, can actually become, you know, 80% of the song, you know. And that's where, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to John or I'll invite him around to the studio and say, hey, what do you think of this one? And often he will set up a mic so the very first time he's hearing it, he sings what he immediately feels over the top of the song. And often, you know, with just a few lyric changes and things like that, that'll become our actual song. So it's about just sort of going going in and going hard early rather than procrastinating about it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that that method. It reminds me of the, there was a story Neil Young, you know, when he was recording his ditch trilogy or like mm-hmm. Tonight's the Night and uh Time Fades Away and On the Beach. He yeah. used to just roll the tape with the band, right? They just roll the tape and they go back and he added like hour, two hour sessions yeah. to find the thong. And then he'd go back and, and like Zap, Frank Zappa did that. And I kind of, what I do, because I kind of, you know, I'm a music historian, I, I mm. for 20 years, I would just go and do these long recording sessions in my home studio. And I'd go back yeah. and find the groups. And mm. then after I find those groups, I kind of work on them and do stream my conscious lyrics over them or do whatever I feel. And then those tend to work better than anything. Yeah, if you try to too hard out. almost, it doesn't doesn't work. <laughs> like I've tried both ways and there's something magical about yeah, just trying to capture a moment and sort of just letting the music take you rather than you trying to control it too much. Yeah. Yeah, I learned that like early in my career, I tried to like sit down mm. and write it out. And I did once in a while, I got something, but I found it like mm. doing this kind of jam band style thing was like it just end up paying paying yeah better, yeah so we, we might jam on a song <laughs> and so it's like you know a 15 20 minutes sort of jam but yeah as you say you can find that three to five minutes within that that jam and go hey that's yeah that's you the find song. a baseline yeah. or even find just the cut, chord changes cut it up yeah, yeah you find go, oh, we'll baseline. take that bit yeah. there and put it with that bit here you know and then you and and maybe all we needed yep it, do you find that the dog do you find a DAW makes mm. that easier? Like back in the day, yeah, I used uh, to just have a task yeah. cam, right? Or a FOSTEX. Mm-hmm. And I used to cut stuff. And I, I mean, I got to it. But today, because of the DAW, I, I, it's like a lot I easier. I started on a four track do doing guitar stuff with simple, you know, sort of Casio things. And yeah, it was pretty hard to edit, you know, sort of what you had is there. I, I, I love you know, computers for what you can do in terms of editing and arranging and, you know, getting getting something out fairly quickly that's in your head. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it's definitely part of the process, having it in a door. I, I couldn't imagine working any other way at this stage of the game. <laughs> John's uh, uh, actually got a four track. <laughs> with, with... That's how he demos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
with yeah, I, st- I still have mine. Yeah. <laughs> I I like it because you know if I had more time and and you know finances, yeah. I would I would take a lot more time, um, especially when I'm laying tracks down in the studio. I'd like to just do. I'm into. I like the idea of having a challenge that you have to do the whole track from start mm. to finish. Um, you know, with with a yeah. um, with a four with track, you know, down. and yeah. and um, I've got an eight track at the moment. And but I like that idea of just when you start, it has to be done all the mm. way till the end, and you can't, you know, stop it and start it again. It just you've just you, you've got you. It's on you, and then you have to really concentrate. And and I feel when when you get in that mo- mode by doing it over mm. and over again, you get really good stuff, yeah. and then you really learn yeah. a song, and then it 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 comes out. You you tune yourself more and more. It's a luxury to have that you know, cut and paste thing. I think it makes, it's excellent for time effectiveness. But um, if you have more time and, and you have that, that time to do it, I think it's good to explore and invest in because you'll probably find it will come out, it will get to the point where you'll mm. let go and it just, it just comes out naturally and usually that's the best stuff. And that's, as I said, that song's yeah, already <laughs> the song's already there in the ether. It's just you tuning into well, you, it. If you've rehearsed it, by the time you're done, you actually have it down. That's kind of like, like the old yeah. school way. I like it as well. It's like if I if I create all my songs like that, I can easily like, go and play them somewhere because I yeah. actually know. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think the other thing is, is like the idea of, of you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm a dollars recorder. I mean, I spend all my time going into hardware yep. recorders. Um, just because of what you said, I like the idea mm. of having a restriction. It's kind of like when I have some of my my, my analog synths, I don't have mm. a screen, right? I got to do it kind of by feel. You, mm. you hear what you get, right? And so with, if, if you're on a Moog, and you're not on like a soft synth, you're kind of doing it by whatever those dials are. And then you dial it mm. in and you might lose it the next day. But, but it's kind of point in time and that kind of point in time kind of pressure of like, okay, I've got this point yeah. in time thing. It's kind of like paint when you're a painter. It's like, okay, it's only going to be in that moment mm-hmm. and I'll record it and I can capture it, but it might not be that same way. The next yeah, day. there is something magical about that for sure. <laughs> kind of yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I find with yeah the writing process in terms of working inside the door, um, taking something that's from just a loop that you create to actually making it into an arrangement as quickly as possible is one of the keys as well because otherwise you get trapped inside the loop, uh, I call it. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Too many choices. You run, run into that too many. The one thing I find with people with DAWs is oh, well, I've got so many choices. Yeah. Then, then I go down a rabbit hole and then I so lose what I do is I only give myself five tracks, <laughs> so a bass, a low, mid, mid, a high and a drum track and that's all I've got. So because I found that I used to get lost inside the door and have 80 tracks on a song that's unnecessary and I've found the writing process a lot cleaner and quicker since I've limited the number of tracks I'm allowed to use. Of course, you know, if I decide I want some extra effects or an appreciator mm-hmm. or something, I can have more tracks but I try and limit it to just, you know, those, those essential five which, yeah, I find found. Yeah, you start going into that Phil Spector. <laughs> yeah, well, some of our tracks sometimes we do do that for you know, <laughs> you know, climactic sort of parts in the song. We, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, that's kind of like like the whole thing with modern yeah. production when you get the Phil Spectors and you get like, mm. what's happening with the Beatles is is the fact that you can yeah. use the recording studio as an instrument and then the doll becomes uh, maybe too much of that. Um, and it's interesting when you talk about Prince because Prince had a habit of being doing these very kind of um, demo-like songs that, that a lot of people, would, like even his Warner Brothers producers would come back to him and say, where's the bass line? How come it sounds like a demo? Mm-hmm. And he would like, that's the way it is. And, and, and it's kind of like sometimes less. Oh, uh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. In <laughs> um, the space, the space between the notes, the one thing like even in jazz, yeah. like the space between what you do, the silences is kind of like core. And some types of music mm-hmm. today, some people have kind of forgotten that if you space things out or slow it down, like if you mm-hmm. run it like 40 BPM, or 30 BPM, and you space things out between the notes, it's, it's a different feel yeah, than when definitely. you're running in the high BPM. You know? it's, it, dynamics have a huge part in it. And if you look at symphonies and things like that, and operas, they're, they're all, especially classical music, it's all run on dynamics. It can just start with one instrument, and then it can you know become orchestral, and, or it can just flow. You know, It just goes up and down. And um, it's all dynamics, and I think once you harness dynamics, especially silence, that's that's an actual sound, you know, within itself, yeah. the sound of silence. Um, yeah. You know, you you, ha- you have the space, and then you create a space. And I like music that creates a world or a space that you can just <laughs> enter into unconsciously, automatically. It just enters you, and it just changes your whole emotional state, or or your you know your your um psychological state as well it just gets altered straight away the minute upon hearing it that's 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 what i think is really real music it's 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 a magical it can be a very magical art form and um it depends if you're coming from it from an (laughs) ego point or um or or a point of wanting to create something you know there's there's different variations of it it kind of brings me to your paradigm song I, when I was listening to that song, I, I kind of felt like a little oh, yeah. spirit of like Sid Barrett because it's very psychedelic. Yeah, it's very psychedelic, and it reminded me of the Pip Sid Barrett type Pink Floyd and like the MGMT type of sound, but it had this yeah. kind of side trance feel. But it's got this kind of Sid Barrett kind of vocal feel, which I thought that's was cool. Really that's cool. Did you um, we had a we've done the radio edit version of that song and also like a twelve minute sort of. Yeah, um, bliss out version of the song, which you know, we, we our natural writing style is we make really long songs, which is a lot harder these days because we're in the age of the uh, goldfish attention. Yeah, <laughs> two minutes. Yeah, song. so we really um, two minutes. So song, now, yeah. now you know, because you can pretty much do whatever you like if you manage yourself. We're releasing a radio edit version of songs mostly, and then a our sort of vision for the song, and we naturally like long longer sort of songs like at least five minutes six minutes which is you know harder to get on playlists everyone's like i love yeah. your song but if it was two minutes long that would sure. could you do us an edit like <laughs> i two minutes is like i know like yeah the, i can't the, start two minutes doesn't feel like enough to create a world in, but it's it's a good challenge <laughs> and i'm up for the challenge but yeah um that that is one of our um yeah. favorite songs it's one that we actually wrote very early on in our sort of career, probably four mm. years ago, 
um, that it's yeah, it's really fun to, to jam or to play live because you do get into this hypnotic state with it. And and the way that we're set up to play live yeah. is yeah. we're we're in using loops so we can stay on sections for as long as we like. So if we're really vibing on something, we can just hang on it for like five or ten minutes before exploding. Yeah, so we're triggering loops rather triggering. than playing to backing tracks, and that yeah. that's a huge thing for me, for our band is time. It's to read off each other and play to and to a backing track. I think that's the advantage. I think that bands that are kind of electronic bands rather than DJs, DJs are kind of stuck on the CDJ. Though a lot, a lot of guys now are running pad clip oriented yeah. systems that can do what you're talking about. But but if you're on, on the CDJ, you're kind of yeah. not doing that. But um, I, I've, I've kind of done the same thing that you guys do, except I use a lot of sequencers. So I have yeah. like multiple sequencers running hardware synths and I trigger yeah, them with foot cool. pedals and different things. So I can kind of like make, keep something going or not keep it going or change it and do it. Yeah, that's right. However, I want. But. Yeah, it, it adds adds to the live experience as well because they're not just hearing, you know, what they hear on the CD. They're hearing a different version of the song, which makes it special because it's a one-time, you know, uh, moment in time. It's like mm. it's a it's a curated um, sound. You know, it's a curated set for that particular day. You know, in that particular location. And I think that's what makes it special because then you get to hear all these other sounds that come out or, you know, um, the, the, the song. Do you find that fans, do you find that fans like it when you kind of deviate from your, your, your bass track mm. or do they, they, you know, it depends. I know there's some, you know, club scene, yeah. people like the extended jams, mm. but then there's other fans that want to hear something. I exactly think fans of ours are pretty um, appreciative of, you know, that that's part of what, what we do and that, you know, seeing a live version of the song, it's going to be slightly different, you know, every time. Um, it still sounds like the song and there's still the, you know, the chorus bits and stuff in there. But what, what mm. we tend to do is more the bridges and the build-ups and, you know, dropouts and things like that. We might extend those sections mm-hmm. and sort of tease the listener with, you know, when's that chorus coming and we'll just hang on it for that extra minute or something until, it, you know, it's just ready to explode kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's being a fan of music, you know, the reason I used to go see Funkadelic. <laughs> Was they would do a 20, 20 yeah. minute version yeah. of a song. Yeah, it's I mean, nice. Go see the dead. I, because the dead mm. would just jam out forever, or the Allman Brothers, every time you saw them, they did it different. The solos were all different. You know, it was in the same spirit, but you went to see them because yeah. you could see them two nights in a row. And I think if you keep it interesting for play, the band itself, you know? uh, it, it then it ultimately makes it interesting for the audience. Because I've been in bands where you have to play four of this, four of that, you know, and it's exactly the same thing every single time to, to you know, iron it out. So there's no, yeah, and it is a way to burn out the band really quickly. Whereas if it keeps it exciting (laughs) and fresh for the band, that's going to translate to it being exciting and fresh for the listeners. And then as you say, if someone comes to see you, you know, if you play a show, a couple of shows within a week or something and someone comes to both shows, they're going to experience a different thing. Yeah. They're going to hear different guitar solos, different sounds, you know. Yeah, sometimes you, you get know. these fans, like fans of Pearl Jam, mm. where you go see Pearl Jam 
three nights yeah, in a row because great. Eddie would change the lyrics. You know, he purposely would change the lyrics and people wanted to see the different versions, mm. to hear the different versions every night because he would just change. I mean, Dylan was famous for that. Dylan used to change like Idiot Wind. There's multiple versions of it. And every time he did it, there's a different version, yeah. different characters, different story. Like he would go and yeah. take like the outtake version and do it. Um, and that kind of like, if you get hardcore fans, they're like, wow, he's doing, <laughs> I, you know, he's doing the. I the think John version. Lennon used to do that with the meaning <laughs> of his songs as well. So one interviewer would ask him, oh, what's this song about? And he'd say one thing. And then in an interview a week later, he'd say a completely different thing just to <laughs> throw people off. Yeah. Slightly off topic there, but it just yeah, suddenly... <laughs> just to catch them up. Yeah, but but, but like, it also can be true as well, you know, things. with yeah. with with songs. <laughs> it yeah, and and as you grow and you have experiences, you realize oh, because the, the lyrics do come from they can come from a subconscious place. So you're probably expressing things yeah. that you're not really aware of yourself, and then you realize what you're talking about yeah, later totally. on, and then it takes on. I've it's, we've had that sort of experience of songs where you've done them a couple of years ago and they were very sort of um, uh, prophetic in a way because all these sorts of things that you're singing about actually come true or or they they take mm. on this deeper meaning for you and it's like oh well you know when I just did it like that but now I realize it's this and this and this and um, that's, that's that's one one thing do you ever do you guys have, mm. like one of the things I like to do is I go back like mm-hmm. a couple of years into my catalog of stuff, right? And then I like, okay, I'm gonna yep. reimagine this song. Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll go back and I'll resample one of my songs, and then I'll like change it, you know, slow it down, reverse it, take a clip here, move things around, and then totally yep. come up with a whole new track. Not that I'm trying to recycle it, but it's like I now I have a different vision for it, and then I'll I'll do it. And I tend to do it. Like more and more, I keep on going back yep. and rehashing some of my older stuff because now I'm in a different place and I've got different equipment and now I can, like, oh, I can, I can kind of use granular synthesis on this thing and change it totally, you know. We're we're, but, we're, we're about to do that with one song that we did a couple of years ago, and um, United we got um, we've done a bunch of remix albums, which which was amazing because we had all these artists come and remix our songs which I think yeah, I, I really those. enjoyed that. I love them. They're just incredible. Usually remix albums, you know, you don't know what you're going to get, but everything was even better. You know, it just, it just added on. It, it you created did three of those. Yeah, and another one's about to yeah, come out three. on the 19th of February as well. The Sort of the final instalment in this series. We might do more later. But, yeah, Volume 4 is coming out 19th yeah. of February. <laughs> And uh, so those were collabs. I was just, I was just going to quickly. All of those are. Co- pardon me. Uh, some of it's collaboration. Some producers. of it's we've sent them the stems and they've added. Yes. And stuff like that. Some of them are done as collabs because they've added their own vocals and things like that. Um, and yeah, some of them are sort of were sent back and forth. Like the blue, Ipsig Lab one that we did was definitely co like. Um, there's a, a full collab on the, yeah, and uh, by Alex Taylor. So we saw you in a dream. Is that saw you in a dream. We <laughs> mm-hmm. saw you in a dream. Yeah, we've got a um, UK. Is there going to be a remix version of that? 
Rex, who's done an incredible eighties aesthetic uh, version of "Saw You in a Dream." Yeah, and he he's um, really good at creating that really nostalgic cool. sort of eighties feel with his stuff. So yeah, he's done a great great version of that. And through doing that one, like we've become quite good friends with him online, and we're actually doing uh, a single with him, like for um, as a collab as well. That will be coming out later. Oh, so he's got kind of like Def- a new Yeah, definitely, yeah. Feel, so he's a guitarist as well. So he, he mm-hmm. puts quite a bit of guitar in his, um, plays a Firebird guitar, really nice tone. And he's into uh, analog synths as well. So you get some yeah, really authentic tones from these cool. old, yeah, Moog synthesizers and stuff. Yeah. I, I just wanted to... Yeah, the fi- yeah. I was, I was just going to quickly... Like my favorite. You go, you go, John. They're amazing. We cut you off. Always. Yeah, no, I was just going to finish the, yeah. the, 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 the question. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, from the remixes, there's one song, uh, United, that got remixed. Um, it was the equal version. And then we just played it live recently. And we did... We played the remix version live, but we re added stuff to that one as well. Mm. Like, just redid it a little bit more. So we re- did play the remix live, but yep. as a safety word again. Um, so we're going to go and record that um, because it's just taken on another level mm. of itself. And so it's going to be like a remix of a remix. Is that, yeah. is that how you'd say it? I don't know. Or It's very postmodern. <laughs> it's a remix, it yeah. a collaboration. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that's, that, that's about it. So... Yeah, sometimes it, it just sort of happens, but um, we're pretty happy with everything that we've done and we yeah. feel it's it's there. And um, I think probably the only time we'll do that if it's a remix of a remix, you know, like someone's remixed it and then we were like, okay, yeah. now we can add this and this and this to it, you know, sort of build it. And then who knows, it might be even remixed the third time mm. from that second, you know, <laughs> see yeah. how long we can like keep it. it going, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, I, I, I've been, like, doing a new thing because I got this make noise sampler. They, they call it Morphogene. And what I like about it is um, it's kind of, like, not like a normal mm. sampler because you don't actually see a grid. It's all, like, it's a Eurorack sampler. So it's all based on, like, feel. And mm-hmm. it's all based on, like, color. So it shows different colors when you do your splices and you do your time shifting. It has different colors that mean different things. And it's all controlled by CV, so you can suddenly get like an LFO to control the clip, where you can go get an envelope generator to change the nature of the sample. And so a lot of what I do is I use like all these like analog synth modules to actually tear apart the sample Mm -hmm. in real time and then re-record it and get like a whole new song out of something that's being modified. That sounds that sounds incredible. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, it's just there's a different an way artist called 55 Kilohertz who's on our um, remix um, volume four coming out. And he's he's a real analog uh, head and he a room full of gear and he's, he's done a, a version um, of one of our songs where, yeah, he's, he's sort of put all the samples into, I think he uses Eurorack stuff as well, but, you know, what what's come out the other very, very different to um, the original track, but yeah, sort of. Dig- yeah, I can. T- 
Yeah, you don't get hit on the copyright. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can hear the song in there somewhere, but it's it's the most abstract uh, remix of one of our tracks, and yeah, it's, it's quite heavy yeah. analog sort of club sort of sound. But yeah, that's good. But it crosses over into you know very uh, experimental territory as well. You know? So it's good. So how are you guys handling? I don't know what your lockdown situation is. Well, that's... In terms of like the Corona crisis, <laughs> oh. like a lot of us in the U.S., we're totally, we were like, we're totally locked down. We can't so you're pretty much where we were um, almost probably 10. Yeah, mid last year. Last year, and that's when we, the world. Couldn't, we couldn't even see each other. We could only talk on the phone, and that's where we came, I came up. You're only allowed to travel like five kilometers and you could only leave your house for like one hour a day to exercise or one person could go and just buy groceries. Yeah, and we had to, and that we was had to it. be in our homes that's all you between could do. 8 p.m. at night and 8 a.m. in the or 7 oh, that's right. in the morning, something yeah, like that. Curfew. It was really strict and yeah, we're still wearing yeah, masks like... in here, but we can play live music. We played a show the other yeah, yeah, which was our first show in a year, which was really fun. But, yeah, during the lockdown, because we couldn't see each other, that's when we decided to do this series of remix albums. You know, had the stems of all our songs, and we thought, what can we do that would be, you know, interesting and also sort of bring, you know, people into our world and create a bit of community vibes, you know, when we can't do gigs and we can't even see each other to write songs. Let's let's do some remixes and... uh, yeah. Are your audience inside? We were only going to do one album, but it kept just being so much fun. That Are your audience, approaching audience? Us and, Or I'd have an idea of someone I knew or someone I heard that would be a great wow. to remix a song. And so it just sort of kept growing and growing. Yeah. Mm. Are, are your audience sizes restricted? Or the audiences are restricted. So like at the bar we were at the other day, they had a limitation of um, 50 guests rather than the 100 that the bar was at yeah. capacity for. Um, depends on the size of the venue and things like that. Um, it was lifted, like, because whenever there's a case, like our government's very strict with it, um, if there's a case or something like that, suddenly it goes back to being mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to plan gigs and do things because you're just mm. not sure. Yeah. Taking a gamble now, yeah, you could have a, a you know, get potentially successful gig and then, you know, if a restriction, if a case pops up and then the restriction comes back on, well, that's just... Yeah, so you know, rather than having 200 Just destroys people, everything. <laughs> yeah. you know, so you lose hard three of money, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to break even when you're like in the U.S. Like you go to New York City, you get like a 300 seat club. Yeah, and, then they tell and you, you got to pay, like you know, the other bands and the sound engineer and all this <laughs> stuff. And, then and it's you've not got... even. It... Yeah, yeah, it doesn't even yeah. work, so you can't, you don't even do it. You know. Yeah, they've been doing really LA, quiet all doing of like drive-ins, so they actually take a drop. <laughs> Hi. Hello. I can just hear you very quiet. Okay. Yeah. Okay, you're still there. Maybe oh, you might okay, need to move around. I can, I can, I can hear you fine. Okay, it might be your internet connection. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what happened, but what I'm saying is they have a drive-in theater type of thing where everybody's in their car in LA, and they actually have the band 
on a drive-in stage. Every yeah, that. that... <laughs> so it's 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 kind of weird. Yeah, it kills the vibe, doesn't it? Yeah. it's really killed the the live music vibe in, in a really big way. And I, at the same time, it's okay. Let's find ways around it. Mm. And I think it's now it's more about you get a good. If you have recordings of music, I think it's good. I'm I'm also been talking to Simon. I think we've been toying with the fact of just doing some live, um, um, you, you know, um, Insta gigs and stuff like that, just on Instagram and you know some jams or yeah. something, just so people can tune in and and um, you know try that. Or yeah, something. Twitch. Twitch is good for that. Yeah. you might want to try Twitch. Oh, Twitch. Okay. Yeah, the video game app, they've been pushing more musicians lately. I've, I've been doing some stuff yeah. there, and it's pretty. they have a pretty good signal. That's good to know. Yeah. It doesn't cut out. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, that <laughs> like, sounds good. Well, fa- yeah, well, yeah. well Facebook, yeah. I was trying and not to push them down, but they... they, they yeah, and the they other thing with Facebook is, like, is if you're playing out. an original no. song, a and they, suddenly, they can just mute your audio <laughs> if they, you know, the algorithm's detected as some as a someone else's song. But yeah. But it could be your song that yeah, it's detecting it's, on it's Spotify, totally you know. Yeah. They've, they've wrong, muted like your own time. song <laughs> that you're playing because the algorithms have detected it as a song that exists. Yeah. But it's your song. <laughs> so they've... Yeah, that's what drives me crazy. Mm. I tried to do a song. I didn't. I released an album. I tried to play it. Yeah, and that's what it, I mean. Because it's not a human deciding. It's, it's an a <laughs> algorithm computer. So it's just they go, oh. That's a song I found detected as a release. I'm going to mute it. But, yeah. Um... <laughs> yeah, so I went to Twitch to yeah, Twitch the, and do that. At least they don't do it right now. Maybe they but, yeah, live streaming out. is something we, we want to get into more. We did play a live stream sort of at the sort of when we just came out of lockdown for a UK-based thing called Not the Main Stage, which mm. was, yeah, really fun to do. Um, and... Yeah, with mm-hmm. with time different stuff, if we want to sort of like this cool. phone call, you know, if we want to sort of uh, play to the US or UK market, which is actually where most of our fan base is, uh, to be <laughs> to be honest, we've got to sort of play our live streams at quite awkward times for us. But yeah, <laughs> like seven, seven yeah. in the morning or something. Yeah. yeah, when we're not feeling particularly yeah, rock problem, and roll, you, guys... but, you know. <laughs> yeah, you guys. Like... Yeah, in the UK and the US is like your private. That's right. Yeah. Right? So with so my with even posting to Instagram and stuff like that, like some seven a.m. is 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 the time that I found really good, or nine o'clock at night sort of thing, is when our audience is most active. <laughs> yeah, we're doing. Yeah. We're, we we gotta we gotta send it back to the past because we're in the future. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, we're um, in the future. Yeah. Is is that right, Simon? Are we are we a day ahead usually? So when it's like. The 18th, it's yeah, the 17th, yeah. well, somewhere else. In, in, at 7 it's, it's a bit tricky doing numerological uh, releases, you know. <laughs> yeah, back in 2004, yeah. I lived in Japan, so I kind of know how that goes. I, for two years, I lived in Tokyo. Oh, wow. And Did you I, go to the I, Fuji Rock Festival? I didn't get to do that. that. Been I good. was in Shibuya all the time, going to all these clubs, and I was, like, really kind of totally entranced by the fact they you had like mm. Japanese bands that could like mimic like every genre. Yes, it's incredible. I think Japan is one of the most fascinating places. I really loved. Um, I don't know if you ever got into post rock, mm. but um, mono. 
Euro Japanese post rock yeah. band, incredible. Oh. Yeah. I used to listen to Asian Kung Fu Generation. I saw them one time. Oh. Um, but um, yeah, I would go to Shibuya and I'd see mm. a band doing Sun Rock. You know, and they, they were doing Miles Davis, they were doing Coltrane. Far and, out. Doing and I was like, damn, these guys are good. Perfectionist. And, and they were doing like Motown. And they were, they were in some Marvin Gaye, and I'm like, and they were doing like deep cuts, not popular cuts. And I'm like, wow, these guys are really into it. And I just would really, and they had a lot of respect. You know, it seemed like they weren't just trying to rip it off. They were, some of them were inspired by it. Some mm. of them were doing things in the, you know, but they're writing their own stuff. And I was like, wow, this stuff is awesome, you know. And I was really, I was in, I was in, you know, Akihabara all the time, in like the town, oh, going wow. into the keyboard shops, picking up yeah. like old, old, old vintage Jupiter stuff. And, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Full <laughs> on. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a fun time if you're into music because they got been so much stuff yeah. going on. Yeah, there's a lot going on. But especially um, in the early 2000s, there was so much going on musically. I, I felt like there was this real, you know, it was going to really go to another level, which I think it it cusped and then it just sort of all, I don't know, yeah. just just something happened. But it it, it yeah, was really happened. exciting time, especially early two thousands music was incredible stuff. It was just coming out everywhere. Yeah, I'm always. Well, it seems like all the energy is like mm. what I do this podcast is I talk to indie artists, you know, and all the all the energy is on SoundCloud and YouTube and all mm-hmm. these alternative um, where all the bands I want to hear are you know bands that are doing yeah. stuff that's that's new and and doing what they want to do, and that's why. I do this podcast because I want to give like more than 10 minutes to an indie band. To yeah, kind of that's talk great. About what, they're, what they do, you know, uh, because I think they just. Yeah. No, it's, it's greatly appreciated. Yeah. It's, yeah. yes, it's good intention. I think it really opens up a lot of um, streams, especially for artists. We're very grateful to be on your show. So, yeah, thank you yeah. very much. I would, you know, I, I believe so things you, will keep going. Besides, Yes, I mean, so besides your um, remix album, are you guys working on any? Yeah, you, yeah, definitely. We've, we've been doing singles out. Yeah, we've been doing a single like every. Week yeah, we're always working. Last, uh, not every week, every sort of five to six weeks for the last uh, year. Every week, <laughs> a really good sort of thing to aim for and to sort of just keep us, you know, always thinking into the future. So we sort of always have, you know, the next two, at least two to three singles planned. So we're sort of looking in so the next sort of thing we're looking at doing is is our song blue ocean so we did the collaborative version with lipsy lab but now we're going to release mm. our our version of it and then after that we're going to do the remix of the remix which was the echo united remix we're going to remix his remix <laughs> and we're going to we're going to add extra yeah Vocals, guitars, yeah, add synths, some new guitars and, and bigger sort of build ups and, and, yeah, and drops and stuff like that in it. So it's going to be fairly clubby. So it'll be one of the most sort of dance friendly things that we've ever done. But it's, I find, yeah, that's good for um, mm. the crossover as well. Because sometimes we can be seen by festival bookers as sort of like a chill band. Yeah. And we actually like when we play live to be quite danceable and, you know, not have to play in that early time slot because we're chill we you know actually like <laughs> getting getting people up and moving around and that kind of thing yeah yeah but but now that we've Start got a lot of music, we can sort of do both styles of sets because you know 
we can play extremely down tempo art gallery sets and then also dance yeah. festival friendly sort of sets as well. Yeah. So do you um what, what what's your feeling on on streaming services and how it affects the industry? I mean, part of the reason I'm able to talk to you is because of streaming services. Um, but then it's kind of like a double-edged sword in different ways. What what are your overall thoughts on art? I, I I think it's again it just depends on your mindset. And I was saying to Simon because now music is so oversaturated. I think there's like eighty thousand songs come out are released every single day. And you're actually fighting, you know, or you can put yourself in a headspace where you're fighting, you know, with 80,000 songs to be heard. Um, and I always said to Simon, you know, I, I, I believe, you know, and I don't like to believe things, but I, I've, or I'll say I feel that this biggest success comes with just doing a song in the first place. If, you can, if you're able to create a song, and, you know, record it and do it. I mean, there's three quarters of the world who will never have that chance of doing in this present time in our existence. You know, they won't have that access to computers or access to instruments to put out a song. They'll just be a dream. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we can do it, you know, in our, in our, um, you know, in our first world, you know, uh, lifestyle is a huge success. Um, so th- that's just doing the music is already a big success for me. It, it, it doesn't worry me if it goes anywhere, but at the same time, as an artist, you want your music to be heard and you want to be sharing it. And I think as many platforms as it is, uh, that are, that are happening, I think it's a good thing. Mm. It's also an oversaturated thing as well, but the main thing is it allows people to stumble across things and that that's another beautiful thing it's like when you go into uh, an op shop or something mm. or records you know when you could go in a record store or something or you're just youtubing and you come across an artist you've never heard from before and you just you know you fall in love with it it's like oh i've just discovered this and it i think it also makes people now think okay you know let's jump onto this service let's jump onto that one or you know, I think what you're doing is excellent because you're bringing and connecting a lot of musicians together. And, you know, it's, it's like now right, uh, musicians being on your show, they're more likely to, to tell their friends or, you know, to tune in and or go mm-hmm. back in your back catalogue, see who else you've had on, you know. And, and it just sort of, it, you've already, you're already creating something there as well. So I think it's, yeah. in a way, it's mm. anything that creates a connection is a good thing. Potentially, mm. yeah, it's always good to create a scene. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to create like, a podcast scene, and I've actually had artists on my podcast actually collaborate with other artists. Yeah, they yeah, heard well, that's that artist, and they went and talked to. That's them. what's amazing. Yeah, exactly. They heard my interview. Yeah, and then they say, "Oh, I'm going to talk to this person." <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't have happened so if you didn't initiate it. So it's all about that initiation. Started well. working with international yeah, it, it artists a through the power of the internet and. And it always starts with sliding into a DM and saying, hey, I really like your stuff and just being, you know, genuine with them and saying, I really like your stuff. Here's, you know, a couple of examples of what we do. Would you like to us? And, you know, out of 10, everyone has always just been a Yeah. Let's, let's do something together. And, it, you know, it's got that power to connect artists you know with people all around the world and it's i I find it absolutely incredible 
And also because there's no gatekeeper now, you can be, you know, DIY and, you know, fiercely independent. And yeah, you can work. Yeah. You don't have some agent telling you you can't work. Well, that's right. And if you want to release a 20 minute song with. or an hour song, <laughs> yes. that's just that, you know, <laughs> yeah, no one's you, stop you. <laughs> you're free. Yeah, I just released like, a three right, minute yeah. rehearsal so yesterday. No, no one sort of telling you you can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the rule book's been thrown out, and you know you you can do you know whatever you want to to um, create. You know, realize your artistic vision, which is you know I find just absolutely incredibly inspiring. Yeah. Well, yeah. we might cut off because not um, a problem. Anchor at all. tends to cut at like seventy five minutes. So, but I wanted to tell you guys, I appreciate uh, that you came on the show. And if you want to yeah. come on again, when you have a new release, and you want to coordinate it. So we, you know, sync sure. up with the album release, let me know. And we're going to send this out within an hour. It'll be on 11. Mm-hmm. Well, initially it'll be on Spotify, uh, Apple and Anchor. And then it will cascade to 11 platforms in total, um, podcast platforms. And yeah. I'll send you the links to the top three ones. I just mentioned, awesome. and uh, I'll put it on my channel as well. So, looking forward to what you guys are doing in 2021, and uh, I hope everybody can check out the safety word, support your favorite artist. You know, mm. make sure that you, you buy. Yeah, we've got t-shirts and hoodies. Selling yep. merch, you know, you're selling stuff. Go to their website. Yeah, yeah, I'm including your your internet links on on the podcast, so they'll be able www. to go to your store and get anything you've got going. Yeah. Yep. Now beyond the podcast itself. So thank you for being thank on you. the show, Safety yeah. Word. And uh, thank well, you very much for having us. Be safe. Yeah. Thank you. You too. Yeah. Take care. And yeah, once again, we're very grateful for um for the time that you've allocated for us, and yeah, we really appreciate it. So thank you very much. And yes, we look forward to um to the future, and uh, yeah, hopefully get another podcast when we release another song at some point. That'll be great. Cool. We'll Thank talk you. then.